Exploring the intersection of medicine, sports, and pop culture. This is the Doctors Are People Too podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Josh Belfer. Welcome back to the podcast. We received a lot of feedback on last week's episode. Many of you sent in messages about how impressed you were with Dr. Natasha Shabani. I think you all shared my thoughts about the hope that Dr. Shabani's work provides. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, be sure to do so. When it comes to the intersection of sports and entertainment, I don't think there's a better example than the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment Organization. Like many of you who are wrestling fans, I started watching at an early age. Whether it was SmackDown, Raw, or SummerSlam, I'd be glued to my TV to watch the high-flying acrobatics and athleticism of the WWE superstars. You want to talk about excitement and thrill? How about seeing The Undertaker pick someone up and choke slam them into the mat? How about the anticipation of a Royal Rumble countdown timer, not knowing who the next wrestler to enter the ring would be? As I've gotten older and entered the medical field, I've gained a whole new appreciation for wrestlers as truly elite athletes. While it may be choreographed entertainment in the ring, and believe me, you wouldn't have wanted to tell 10-year-old Josh that. These wrestlers come from very athletic backgrounds, some who are even Olympians. And seeing the great work that wrestlers do when they leave wrestling, I think you could tell that these are extremely motivated elite athletes. Just look to your favorite acting superstars, John Cena and The Rock. Yup, both started their illustrious careers in the WWE. In today's podcast, I wanted to take a look at how the health and safety of wrestlers are managed in the WWE. It's one thing to take care of the 15-year-old high school basketball player who twisted an ankle, like I see in my emergency room. It's quite another thing when you are responsible for the health of 300-pounders jumping from close to 10 feet onto another 300-pounder. I was lucky enough to speak with Dr. Joseph Maroon, who serves as the medical director for the WWE. We spoke about his path from youth athlete to neurosurgeon, the unique challenges of taking care of wrestlers, and the steps that the WWE continues to take to protect their wrestlers' health. If you aren't a wrestling fan, fear not. I think you will still find my conversation with Dr. Maroon to be quite riveting. And if you are a wrestling fan, well, buckle up. As the legendary wrestling announcer Jim Ross would say, business is about to pick up. Here it comes! Dr. Joseph Maroon, welcome to the Doctors or People 2 podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Josh. It's my pleasure. We like to start all of our interviews with this question. What is your typical morning routine? Well, my typical morning routine was uh, working out either in the pool or in the gym for about an hour and then uh, going to the office at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center uh, and on a different day, seeing patients uh, one day, all day. Uh, in the past, I was operating. I'm not operating anymore. Uh, and I interact with residents, faculty, teaching, uh, lectures, talking, and uh, uh, working on various papers and projects. Sure. And the name of this podcast alludes to physicians who are doing things outside of medicine and have a lot of hobbies and interests outside. And allow me to just run through a couple of your athletic accolades for our audience. As a child, you played baseball with future Hall of Famer Phil Necro. 
and John Havlicek, who ended up being a, an NBA Hall of Famer, scholastic All-American football player at Indiana, A-time triathlon Ironman winner here in the National Fitness Hall of Fame. I think my first question is, what can't you do? But a more serious question, are you able to talk us through a little bit about your journey from athlete uh, into neurosurgery? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I went to the University of Indiana on a football scholarship, actually, 100 years ago, it seems, and subsequently medical school, and then uh, Georgetown, Oxford, University of Vermont for medical training or surgical training, and then came to the University of Pittsburgh uh, about four decades ago. And uh, because of my interest in sports, uh, I was on call, of course, as a neurosurgeon. And the first three or four years on call, each season in the football season, I had a high school athlete enter the emergency room quadriplegic. And uh, I looked into the incidence of quadriplegia in high school football players in Western Pennsylvania and discovered that you had a one in 11,000 chance of becoming paralyzed if you played football in Western Pennsylvania as a high school player. And that really energized me to do everything that I could to prevent athletic injuries, particularly in contact sports, since I was very active in that myself. So at that point, I, I worked with my orthopedic colleagues to put on sports medicine symposia throughout the area, uh, teaching blocking and tackling techniques and how to strengthen the neck, how to avoid concussions, how to handle concussions. And, uh, and that led me to being involved with the University of Pittsburgh football team, as well as the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, which I have continued to the present time. And when you initially were choosing your career path after medical school, how did you settle on neurosurgery? What was attractive about that field to you? Um, no, again, as a physician yourself, it's interesting how our paths get started. It's a very poignant question. And I remember vividly uh, rotating on the neurosurgical service and going into a patient's room and the chief resident, Paul Kramer was his name, uh, looked at the patient like I'm looking at you. And he said, sir, look at my nose and which finger is moving? And he couldn't see either finger moving until it got right to the nasal portion of his visual fields. And he looked at me and he said, uh, Dr. Maroon, and I wasn't a doctor yet, what is his diagnosis? I said, what do you mean? What's his, how am I supposed to know by this what his diagnosis is? Well, he said, you should know that because you know the optic nerves cross right over the pituitary gland and he has a pituitary macroadenoma causing bitemporal hemianopsia. And we're operating on him tomorrow for that. That really struck a chord with me. <laughs> and uh, I became fascinated by neurology, neuroanatomy, physiology, and then eventually chose to go into neurosurgery. I agree with you. It's interesting. Certain moments make our choices a little bit easier and direct us to certain careers that you know, maybe we weren't even anticipating going into. That's a great story you told. 
we're going to focus in on a couple of your experiences and your athletic involvements. And we'll start with your role in the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment Organization, as medical director. Can you talk us through how you first were associated with WWE? Were you a wrestling fan growing up like I was? Actually, I I was. And, and one of my heroes was a fellow by the name of Bruno Sammartino. I mentioned that I was very interested in concussions, having had several concussions myself playing sports. And uh, at the time, uh, the management of WWE was very interested in being proactive in initiating a concussion program uh, that would prevent and when they did occur, manage appropriately uh, several concussions. So that, that really is how I got involved. And we instituted a program called IMPACT, Immediate Post-Athletic Cognitive Testing that I and a neuropsychologist by the name of Mark Lovell devised uh, about 30 years ago now, initially. And then it evolved to becoming the standard of care in uh, the NFL, in virtually all sports, and we've now baselined over 20 million kids uh, and individuals with the impact test. So we instituted that and uh, got into the wellness program. And also the whole goal was to uh, facilitate wellness, prevent injuries, and enhance recovery when injuries did occur. And, and Joe, on a day-to-day -day basis, what are your responsibilities in monitoring the athlete's health and you're in your team's responsibilities as they're going city to city, having matches sometimes multiple nights a week. Uh, what are your responsibilities when it comes to those athletes? Well, I, I think what, what we've done beginning way back then, 12 years ago, we hired some of the best sports medicine physicians available, extremely well-trained, extremely knowledgeable, kind of like yourself. A couple of them were emergency room physicians as ringside physicians who manage the talent uh, in the most expert way. So um, I, I don't travel with WWE, but they do. We have medical uh, physicians available at every venue who are assiduous about protecting the athletes in every way. So I basically facilitate consultations and assist when I can. And wrestlers, wrestlers, of course, come in all shapes and sizes. For me, it was Rey Mysterio up until the big show, I think, for a comparison of sizes of wrestlers, uh, for the, my audience who's familiar with, with those wrestlers. How do the wrestlers' bodies and how do wrestlers themselves in the WWE serve as a unique patient population as compared to some of the other patient populations that we take care of? Well, they come from diverse areas, everything from... Uh acrobatics uh, to various sports participation and and they're all they're really well honed extremely well conditioned athletes and uh some of the most respectful individuals i've met in my career in sports medicine and uh, extremely talented assiduous about practice about uh, learning their craft their profession their trade if you would and uh, and really incredible women and men 
who are really committed to being the best they can. And I think it's underappreciated just how elite of an athlete that some of these wrestlers are. And certainly there's been a lot of crossover of wrestlers who competed in college coming to the WWE and even WWE wrestlers, Brock Lesnar going and fighting in MMA. And I think the eliteness of their athletic abilities is something that's maybe underappreciated. It certainly is. Not only the eliteness, but the training. I mean, they, they're working wrestling 45 to 50 weeks a year and still maintaining an incredible degree of fitness uh, and uh, really assiduous about their diets. Uh, and, and they function to maintain their function at a very high level, and some of them into their 40s and even 50s. Uh, you know, like Tom Brady. They're the, the Tom Brady's of, uh, of world wrestling. Uh, so I have the utmost respect for the, for the individuals who participate and choose to participate. And the different types of matches that, that WWE has, cage matches, Royal Rumbles. You could tell I'm a fan, can't you, Joe? Royal Rumbles, you have 10, 10 15, 20 wrestlers in the ring, tag team matches. What are the different characteristics of the matches themselves that sometimes pose a risk to the health and safety of wrestlers? Yeah, well, as, as you know, uh, from Raw and SmackDown, uh, these are all highly choreographed, highly, highly scripted, but also um, certainly accidents occur, injuries can occur. And uh, when they do, we deal with them as you would in the emergency room, the very best of our ability. And Joe, we uh, solicited questions from our audience leading up to this discussion. And so this question comes from Nate in Philadelphia. Uh, on the same token of your last answer, what are some of the more common injuries that you see in WWE wrestlers? And what are, what are some of the more concerning, maybe less frequently seen injuries for them? Well, orthopedic injuries are the most common. Shoulders, knees, uh, ribs occasionally. We're, we're obviously extremely concerned and, and protective about injuries to the brain or neck or spine. And uh, uh, we have a, a protocol that clearly is, I think, some of the, one of the best in all of sports in terms of managing these individuals and all of the guidelines about returning to play after a concussion. But uh, as you would know and imagine, plethora of medical conditions that would come from contact sports, ankles, shoulders, wrists, fingers, I mean, the whole, the whole group. And Joe, what medical screening is in place to examine these athletes before they even step in the ring? Certainly we hear about, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've heard about, you know, cardiac evaluation for even high school athletes, college athletes. What sort of monitoring and screening is done before an athlete even steps into the ring? A very, very thorough screening is carried out. We have one of the premier cardiologists on our staff, Dr. Uh, Brian Donahue, who uh, is brilliant and in terms of echocardiography, EKGs when necessary, stress tests, uh, a plethora of blood work is carried out and uh, uh, orthopedic evaluation, neurocognitive evaluation with the impact test, a very thorough baseline evaluation is obtained. And then uh, 
on an annual or biannual basis, uh, re-examinations are carried out. So I think in terms of the medical program, it's as good as any in any professional sport. And you mentioned the concern for head and neck injuries and the steps that the WWE has taken to prevent those. What are those steps and how do they continue to evolve as an organization? And how does your group continue to progress to prevent those injuries? Well, beginning with the, with the training facility, uh, we've thickened the, uh, and increased the resilience of the padding that's used in the rings. Uh, We've instructed, we instruct them on an annual basis about the significance of head and neck injuries, uh, how to avoid them, and in terms of the training and teaching, uh, the trainers and the instructors who carry out these, uh, who are the coaches, so to speak, uh, are very careful and and, and knowledgeable about uh, protective mechanisms and techniques to avoid significant injuries. And Joe, you mentioned a little while ago about some of the infrastructure that's present on match night to help protect the athletes in terms of ring physicians. Are there other things in place to help prevent injury and maybe even more importantly, respond to injury? Well, we also have a a crew of superb, uh, trained and experienced athletic trainers uh, who are uh, just like just like uh, in any professional football or baseball or basketball team, you know, the appropriate taping and instructions before, before the match. Uh, and then if there's uh, the referees are also trained to uh, be observant uh, in terms of any injury that should stop the match. Uh, so all of this goes into it, yes. And certainly part of WWE and its name is entertainment. And the wrestlers certainly play up what looks to be injuries in terms of the choreographed uh, mechanisms. And maybe this is too much of a secret. Maybe you can't reveal it to us. But what is the communication like between wrestlers and the trainers and the ringside physicians in the middle of a match? Say a wrestler recognizes that he or she is injured. How do they indicate without sort of disrupting the flow of the match to, to keep the entertainment value of all of this? Well, they're, they're constantly being observed and in terms of just like tapping out or uh, letting people, letting the trainer or the ringside physician know and the referee also. So it's a real combined effort, very focused on obviating injuries and, uh, and problems like that. And my final question about your role with the WWE as you look forward to the future of the WWE, what are some of the, the biggest challenges when it comes to the health and safety of the wrestlers? Well, I think, you know, it all, it, it all begins with, it's not the body, but it's what's above the shoulders. It's about the brain and, and, and how you think, how, you, how, how respectful you are about your fellow uh, wrestlers so that the selection process is really quite detailed in terms of selecting individuals who, who really are team players, uh, despite the uh, characterizations that may go on in terms of the villains or the heels or this or that. You know, they're all team players, and, and that's what it begins with. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Maroon talk about the WWE. 
For me, it was an interesting look behind the scenes at what goes into protecting the health of these elite athletes. In that last question, you heard me tell Dr. Maroon that it was my last question on the WWE. Well, that's because he has another job that we are going to get into on next week's episode. Dr. Maroon serves as the team neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's held this position for over 30 years, meaning he's had not only a front row seat, but a direct role in addressing the health and safety of football players, particularly over the last 10 years as the fear of concussions and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, in NFL players has hit the public's attention. I think that next week's episode is a truly cannot-miss episode. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Doctors or People 2 podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to share it with your friends and family. Follow us on our Instagram page at Doctors or People 2 Podcast. Do you have a question or a comment on the show? Maybe a guest recommendation? Direct message us on our Instagram page. Until next time, this has been the Doctors or People 2 Podcast. Take care.